0: Hello and welcome to the Use Because podcast. Deeper learning from the best business minds to have ever put pen to paper. See if you can guess what movie I'm talking about here. I'm gonna describe the general gist of the plot and with each new piece of information see if you can narrow down what film i could possibly be talking about so the first thing is that the hero of the story is introduced and they are in a fairly ordinary world it's a mundane ordinary world and it's presented in real stark contrast to this special world that our hero is going to enter and then there's the initiating incident of the story and this is where the hero is introduced to a challenge or a problem and that's going to become their quest that they'll have to overcome, that they're going to have to then enter into this special world that's different than their ordinary world. But of course, our hero, they refuse to accept the call to this particular adventure. And it could be because maybe they don't feel they have the skills, or they don't really want to leave the ordinary world that they're in. So now think about that. What, what film could this possibly be that we're talking about? Then let's move on with the next part of the story then. Our hero meets a, a wise, older person. And this mentor, they guide the hero in getting the right supplies or the knowledge that they need to go on this adventure. But the mentor can only go so far with our hero. And then our hero commits wholeheartedly to the adventure and starts to ingratiate themselves into this special world. And there's no turning back from this point. And now our hero gets to explore this new fantastic special world. And they they face trials and they make some friends and they make some enemies along the way. And then they start to move closer to what we'll call the the innermost cave right the main the main part of this special world and this inner cave or this innermost cave this is where the thing is the thing that they're looking for the the object or the the macguffin sometimes they call it the thing that they're looking for is in this inner part of this special world and the hero is then pushed to the brink of death or loss and they face the greatest challenge that they've ever faced in their life and it's through this struggle that the hero experiences a process of death and rebirth, either literally or figuratively. But then, of course, the hero gets the reward. They, experiences, they experience the consequence of surviving that death. And they retrieve the thing that they're looking for, the object, the the layer, the, uh, the MacGuffin, right? the thing that they want. But then the hero returns to the ordinary world or continues towards some sort of ultimate destination. This is usually the point at which they're starting to plant the seeds for a sequel. But their trials aren't over just yet. right? They're usually pursued by some sort of vengeful force that they then have to face. And the hero emerges from the special world fundamentally changed by their experiences. And the hero brings with them the object, whatever the thing is which are then used to better the ordinary world in some way, whether it's through knowledge or a cure or some other form of protection. So if I was to ask you what film have I just described, what film, what movie uh, from recent times would you say fits into that bracket? And the answer is, of course, Star Wars or The Matrix or Lord of the Rings or The Lion King or Iron Man or Spider-Man or The Wizard of Oz or The Goonies or Avatar, Finding Nemo or The Hunger Games. The list goes on and on. And the whole point here is that stories, when they're done correctly, they have a structure. That story that I described there is what's known as the hero's journey, uh, written by a guy called Joseph Campbell back in the day. And his whole point was that when a, a, hero, a hero's journey is it's uniform, right? There's bits, kind of tangents off it and so on. But stories, when they are successful, they have a structure a rigid structure that you pretty much stick to. So if you go back and think about the hero's journey, say even the, the main steps, they start in an ordinary world, and then they, uh, something happens where they have to now enter a special world, and in that special world then they're gonna get tested, and then they almost die, and then they, they get through the thing that they need to get through, and then they come back to the ordinary world at the very end, and they, they're a fundamentally changed person. That fits into all of those different movies that I mentioned. Stories have a structure. And that's what this podcast is about. It's about a book called Putting Stories to Work by a guy called Sean Callahan, who specializes in teaching business leaders how to tell stories. You see, a lot of the time people think about stories and they think about relying solely on on reasoning or uh, logic to get their message across. But that doesn't inspire action. When you talk to somebody on like a, a... when you try to reason with somebody or you try to use logic, like I said, or data or facts and figures, that kind of thing. Generally, it doesn't work because you're not you're not talking to the emotional part of their brain. In this book, he the, the author Sean Callan he puts forward a a very robust structure for how to. First of all, think of stories, how to remember them when the time comes, how to make them relevant and how to uh, refresh them or to disregard them when you need them or when you need to, I should say. So what he really talks about is having a very, very robust process. And he says, there's really four things that you need to be able to do. First, you need to be able to discover good stories to tell. And by the way, these stories are everywhere, right? Anything can be a business story once you are connecting it in some way to to a business point whether it's sales growth you know uh, employee retention whatever the thing is that you're trying to make a point about if you can tell a story rather than just bombarding somebody with facts and figures you're more likely to be able to to get your point across or to move people first thing you need to be able to do is discover good stories to tell then you need to be able to organize these stories so that you can remember them promptly there's nothing worse than being in a situation kind of half remembering a story and that's ultimately what this structure thing is all about is making sure that there's a structure to the story a beginning a middle and an end third thing you need to be able to do is you need to be able to share your story in a way that actually has the impact that you're hoping for and the last thing then the fourth thing is a good business storyteller they know when to refresh or retire their stories but another really interesting thing that he says in this book is he talks about the ratio of storytelling to logic so if you if you read this book or you listen to this podcast or you know you decide this is for you you don't want to get into a situation where every single problem that you encounter in your professional life you try and counter it with a story right it's not going to work if you're uh, running a startup and you've got four or five employees and one of them comes up to you and says i didn't get paid this week why why did that happen well, you're not going to go, well, let me tell you a story about Neo from the Matrix and uh, all the stuff that he went through. Like, yeah, 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 focus, focus. Why did I not get paid? And then you're like, well, in a world where nothing else... Shut up. Just tell me why I didn't get paid. <laughs> well, Tony Stark is a billionaire playboy. Oh, Jesus Christ, tell me why I didn't get paid. There has to be a structure to, or I should say, a ratio from storytelling and... Uh, logic. There's a time and a place for stories and you use it to bolster the point that you're trying to make. That's the point in this whole book is that it's not just about making sure that uh you're entertaining people and that's part of what a what a good story should do. It should entertain people, it should it should help people visualize uh the the point you're trying to make. But ultimately it should back up your facts, figures and your data. Like if you rely purely on stories you're you'll probably get found out sooner sooner rather than later. I'll give you a statistic here from the book. I'm going to read this directly from the book. Uh, And really, this is a a good example as to why stories matter. So this is what it says from the book here. It says, a global study conducted in 2012 involving 300,000 employees found that just over half did not really understand the basics of their organization strategies. And that's, he goes on then to explain why that is, that uh, uh, facts, figures, data, it's all important, right, we're going to focus on mergers and acquisitions this year, over the next five years. We're not really understanding why. Well, why are we doing that? Tell me a story as to, as to why we're going to be doing that. So a story basically answers the why questions, because it sets out what has prompted the new strategy and what's going to happen next. One of the things I believe that a story can do for, for somebody in a position of authority is it can kind of ground what it is, the point you're trying to make. And when you can ground it in like a specific example of, well, this is why it would happen. Do you know what it's like? It's like in sales where somebody has an objection to something that you're uh, you're, you're selling to the right. And usually, you know, anyone who knows something about sales, objections are usually because they, they don't understand enough. Uh, they don't trust you. They... Uh, they don't see the value in what you're offering, or they could just simply not be a, a a customer at this particular time. Right? There's a few different reasons. But one of the things you can do to to counter an objection if somebody says, you know, I don't really think it's for me, or you know, it's it's not really the right product for for us at this, this time. That's the point which good salespeople will tell a story. Go, it's interesting you say that because. You know, I had a customer just like you, actually, about three weeks ago, who's even more objected, objectionable to, uh, to what I was suggesting. And I was able to do X, Y, and Z, which meant A, B, and C, and they're way happier than they were before they had the product. That's the kind of thing where you can take an objection that somebody has and tell a good story as to somebody who, like we've talked before about, about rapport, about all those kinds of things. Somebody just like you, who's even more against what I'm trying to sell here. And they're more happy now than than before they had the product. It's that kind of thing. So what what a good story can do is it can help build trust as well. And trust, according to there's actually a guy mentioned in the book. Uh, let me just look for his name. David Meister. Meister is his name. M A I S T E R. David Meister. Um, he is a well sought after distinguished consultant, right? And he has a a formula for trust, and he says that trust. Is credibility plus reliability plus intimacy all divided by self-interest so if you think about each of those different things there if you want to build trust with somebody if you want to build trust with a, a team that you're leading credibility is about trusting what a person says because they have a track record of telling the truth this is what a, a leader needs to be able to do they need to be a, they need to be a source for credible information and then the second thing he says in this formula then is reliability reliability is basically about trusting a person to do what they say they'll do when they say they'll do it that's what a good leader is and then intimacy means that your leader genuinely cares about you on an appropriate level right intimacy is about trusting someone to care about your emotions and desires to to understand that You're stressed or to understand that you're uh, frustrated by something to really, really listen to that. But when he says then that all of those things added together, credibility plus reliability plus intimacy, add all those together and divide it by self-interest. As in, the less self-interest you have, the more trust you're going to build. If you're only doing those things, being credible, being reliable and being intimate for your own career, then it's going to backfire because people can spot those things. right? Even people you know without any training in psychology they they know when somebody is acting out of self interest rather than acting in uh, for the betterment of the team there's a great quote from it might be Jim Rohn I could be completely wrong but there's a quote about uh, to get what you want or I should say it's the way around if you if you help enough people get what they want you'll get what you want so if you if you're acting only in self-interest all the time it's very short-sighted very um very, very nearsighted, I suppose you'd call it. And you know, you want to play the long game if you're if you're looking to build a a really good career for yourself, I suppose. So trust is for credibility plus reliability plus intimacy divided by self interest. And what he says in the book then is that what what stories do is help you to build trust because you can tell stories in the third person about how you're credible, reliable, and how you you care about other people's emotions and uh, and mental well being. Another thing he says that stories help us to do is to inspire action. He makes the point that what a good story can do is it it gives you a way to share events that are both big and small that are happening in an organization. And their stories are concrete and specific and they're giving people things that they, they, they should be doing rather than just having, you know, let's innovate plastered all over the walls or, you know, do more with less, that kind of thing. Like that's not actionable. Somebody can't go back to their desk after a meeting, after being told our budget's been cut in half, and then say, you just need to do more with less. Well, that's that's fantastic. What, is, what does that mean? Like, should I open two Excel sheets rather than one, had two keyboards on the go at the same time? What exactly does that mean? So what a story will help people to do is to put it into concrete and specific terms. So they know exactly what they need to do. So it could be telling a story about a, you know, a satellite office where they had their budget cut in half. And this is specifically what they did on their team. That's the story that he's talking about in in this kind of book or in this book. That's the kind of story he's talking about in this book where he says that it's about more than just saying nice things. It's about making sure that you are uh, giving specific and concrete examples. And that's what a good story does. He also says that stories help to influence decisions. And again, it's the same thing. If you're trying to, you know, get your budget doubled from senior management and you go in there with facts and figures and dry data, Yeah, well, look, they're just going to compare you to the other team who need more, um, who need more money for more things as well. Like, that's you know, it's a toss of a coin kind of thing. But if you can go in there with a good story about a particular customer and then, you know, success you had with them. And then if we had all this extra money, we'd be able to multiply that by 50,000 times or be able to do that 50,000 times over. So telling a story, again, makes it specific, makes it concrete and gives it actually talks to the emotional parts of the brain and gives somebody something to actually visualize. He also says that it helps to share lessons, and really it's a great way to build trust with somebody is to, is to share share a story of a failure that you've had. And again, you know, if you're trying to, to build trust with or integrity or, uh, or credibility with your team, tell them a story about a time you failed, tell them a story about a time you got something wrong, but not just that, what you did to fix it. It's like when you're going for a job interview and somebody says, you know, what's your biggest weakness? You don't just say, well, you know, I'm a control freak. (laughs) You you say, you know, I used to be a terrible communicator or used to be um, not a particularly good communicator, but here's what I've done to address that since. So there's no point just telling a story saying, you know, "I, I really messed this thing up one time. It's not terrible, so make sure you don't do it. You want to tell a story that's like, you want to share a lesson through a story by saying, there was one time I completely messed this thing up. This is why it happened. And then that's what I did to rectify it. And this is how we made sure it didn't happen again. So you're doing a few different things there. You're teaching somebody about one of the processes, but you're also explaining how you're human, you're fallible. And again, great quote from Richard Branson, I think I mentioned this in a, in a podcast ages ago, that the only, he said, the quote from him is that the only guarantee in business is that you and everyone around you is gonna make mistakes. And once you keep that in mind, you know, of course you're trying to mitigate those mistakes as you go. You're trying to, to lessen them as you go with, with good processes and good communication just accept that mistakes are going to happen it's not the mistake that matters it's your reaction to it and what a good story can do is can help you get that point across It can help you share lessons the last thing he says though um, another reason why uh, leaders need good storytelling is it helps you to counter half-truths and lies so that's basically to stop rumors right when Like if you think about this, uh, think about a a big organization that has uh, come up with a whole new strategy and the rumor starts to go around that the CEO just got the strategy from, you know, seven or eight years ago. They've polished it off, they've changed the font and they've sent it out again. And, uh, you know, this is all nonsense. Nobody's going to go for it. That that kind of a rumor, that kind of a story is salacious, right? And it starts to, to gather legs. If you try and counter that story with facts and figures and, and, again, raw data, you're talking to the wrong part of the brain. You're not talking to the part of the brain that likes gossip. So what you have to do, and this is what he says in the book, you have to come up with a better story. You have to come up with a story for how the CEO actually did come up with a strategy and get that story out there and start to tell that story and make it a better story than the one that's that's circulating in a, at the water cooler or whatever it is that, that people share gossip these days. It can't just be about trying to counter... You know the, these negative rumors with raw data and uh, facts and figures, like I said, and statistics. You have to talk to the emotional part of the brain. You have to talk to the part of the brain that can that can visualise the story. Good opportunity to uh, to use a story there. So he goes on then to talk about the the hero's journey then in the book which I mentioned at the start, and I use the hero's journey ex- explanation there to to show that stories have structure. That a story, when it's done correctly. You know, you you can you can dress it up any way you like, but it's the same fundamental building blocks that go into it. Now he says himself in the book that the hero's journey story, there's like you know I, I went through like 12, 12 different steps there that are in the hero's journey, but really I think there's closer to eighteen or twenty. And his point in the book is that you know don't don't try and construct a story that you're going to tell and work that is um because has eight <laughs> like people coming and going and and um you know, from their, their ordinary world to their special world and nearly dying along the way and stuff, it's too complicated and it's, you're not going to be able to make your simple stories fit that narrative and you're also not going to be able to remember them. He says focus on the, the small stories. And my point here is that the way you remember a story is by giving it structure, is by understanding that there should be a structure to it. So concentrate just on the small stories. Because what he says about small stories, and actually stories in general, he says that there's three superpowers to these stories. He says that they're memorable. There's no point saying something if it's forgettable. The second thing he says is that they convey emotion. We've talked about that already, that facts, figures, data, of course, they're important, but a story really helps you hammer the point home. People are inspired to act when they feel emotion, right? When when you're emotionally connected to something, you're going to act, right? And actually, what's really interesting is reading that story about the the kid in australia actually where the author is from uh sean callan as far as i know he's australian and as i'm recording this the uh there's that kid in australia who's been bullied and the aboriginal kid and he you can see what's happening there as soon as his as soon as the video of that kid went uh around the world everyone reacted to it like as I'm recording, I said it could be way more by now. But I, the last time I looked, it was a quarter of a million dollars had been given to his GoFundMe because people are inspired to act when it comes to emotional things. I like, can to see a kid like that getting getting bullied and, and saying the things you've saying in that in that video about what he wanted to do to himself. It's it's absolutely heartbreaking. But that's it. it kind of it, it makes the point here that when, when there's emotion, when things are highly emotional, people are gonna act people that's what that's what makes people take action like you could talk all day about, you could make a video about you know the statistics do bullying and the facts and the figures and the data like I've already said a million times you're not gonna get any money for your GoFundMe but if you put in you put in some raw emotion there some raw and real emotion you watch people react you know we're all led by our emotions the third thing he says then about the the third superpower of a story is that they're meaningful and he says here, I'll read it out what it says here. It says, in the complex environment of work, people need to be able to make sense of what's going on and how they fit in. And that's really true for, I suppose, also, I was going to say big organizations, but really it's true of all organizations. There's so much complexity and ambiguity and uncertainty about, you know, miscommunications and, and all that kind of thing. But if you, can, if you can get your point home with a story, you're more likely to be able to get done what it is that you need to get done. There's one quote here, and while I was reading this, I thought this actually ties in with our most recent podcast, which is uh, Sense Making by Christian Madsberg. Uh, and if, if you haven't listened to that one, uh, it Sense Making is all about big data and how it doesn't solve all our problems because a lot of the time with big data, human emotion or human intention is left out of it. And he talks about how to how to use both um, to get to success. But I'll I'll just read out again another quote here from the book. He's quoting yet another book, um, Antonio Damasio's book, uh, Descartes' Error. He says when emotion is entirely left out of the reasoning picture, as happens in certain neurological conditions, reason turns out to be even more flawed than when emotion plays bad tricks on our decisions. You leave emotion out of things, you're going to end up with bad decisions. And if you if you rely only on data, you're 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 leaving yourself open uh, to making an error. So then, how do we actually go about? you know, constructing a story. How do they actually go about putting a story together that could be of of use? Let me tell you a story that he tells in the book that you may or may not have, have heard before, but it's about the, the 1980s rock band Van Halen. And at the time, back in the 80s, they were one of the, the biggest rock acts on the planet. And they, you know, roll into a city with, with nine 18-wheelers and assemble a stage that had the same weight, supposedly, as a 747 jet. And... If you know anything about these rock bands or bands in general, they, they travel with a rider. And a rider is basically a list of demands that they want. You know, I want ice-cold water at backstage. I want, you know, 17 bottles of whiskey, and I want uh, only white leather furniture. Like, the riders can be whatever they want it to be, uh, things that are going to make them more comfortable backstage or, you know, just things that they want to happen, you know, specific requests. And Van-, Van Halen were known for uh, having a fairly big list of demands but one of their demands was that in the dressing room they wanted a bowl of M&M's, right? The the chocolate sweets, the candies for my American friends. But they wanted all the brown M&M's removed, right? Which sounds ridiculous, right? It sounds like, Jesus, fucking rock stars, you know, just acting the Aegis. But really there was something behind that because what they would do is that they'd walk into their dressing room and they'd know that if the promoter was not focused on the details of the gig, Safety was going to be a problem because they stayed this massive light show and they had you know smoke and uh, flames and sparks and all sorts of stuff. So it was very important that everything was put together correctly for their gig. But if the brown M and M's were not in the bowl, they'd know. Okay, well he's paid attention to the detail because in their rider, they'd bury that one detail, and they'd know whether the the promoter had read all the details they were supposed to read. So. That story has done the rounds over the years and a lot of the time it got twisted because people thought it was just a rock band being ridiculous. But really was the rock band making sure that the promoter, the person who said they were going to make sure everything was safe, was actually reading the fine details. If there was M&M's in the bowl, they hadn't read all the details. And that was an easy, quick way for them to check whether the details had been covered or not. If there was was brown M&M's in the bowl, they wouldn't do the gig. So a lot of the times when people tell stories, uh, and that one in particular is a great one to tell in in a company setting, and the reason it's a great one to tell is because it's relatable. People can listen to that story and go, "Yeah, what are our M and M's? What are the things? What are the one? What are the one little bits and pieces? The, the little bits and pieces we should be thinking about to make sure that we're paying attention to all the fine details." So. Every story that you tell has to be relatable, right? All of us know rock bands and, you know, you have been to concerts, you have seen them on television and you can imagine something like this happening. But what's really interesting about that is there's a little twist at the end of that story where it's not just the the band being ridiculous and, and being rock stars. There's a serious point to be made and that's what makes it memorable as well. And he says in this book here that there are some topics that we're particularly drawn to and they are power, death, children's safety, and sex—they're the four things that any—if a story can can keep those things in there, uh, you, you're going to make you're going to have a better chance of. Um, I'm, I'm just I'm I'm hesitating here because <laughs> you want to be very careful about the type of stories you're going to tell, covering those topics. Um, but the whole point is that say for example that Van Halen story—that's to do with power. You know who really has the power there. Um, and Van Halen have the celebrity power. They have the power to make sure that if this isn't done right, we're not doing the gig. And it makes it an, an interesting story to uh, uh, to consider. It's something relatable and it has a twist at the end. And it's to do with power or... Uh, what were the other ones? Power, death, children's safety and sex. Right, The other things that kind of... Uh, the most emotionally uh, spiking things, I suppose, that will happen in our heads. Next thing he talks about then is where to actually find these stories. Um, he talks about a discovery journal, but really, now having read this chapter, I would think the what you're really looking to do with with finding stories is to just find them. It's just like once you once you start to think in the right mindset and the right frame of mind, these stories just kind of pop into your head. Like you, you can think about things to do with your kids. Like I've probably told this story before, but when my oldest daughter started to learn to walk like like all kids they just they keep falling over but they don't stop they keep getting back up right they keep getting back up they don't beat themselves up and tell themselves a negative story they did trip they fall over they go up to daisy and up they get and they keep going they keep trying and like there's lessons to be learned all over the place for for looking at your kids for looking at you know people sitting in traffic that's one of my favorite ones Uh, not even really a story it's just kind of more an idea that you know when you're sitting in traffic and you can feel yourself getting more and more stressed, more and more annoyed. And you look at the person beside you in the in, in the car, beside you sitting in traffic and they're just vibrating with anger. What I always ask myself, what is the point? What is the point in getting stressed? What is the point in uh, getting annoyed? It doesn't change anything. The only person I'm impacting is myself. There was a Churchill I think said, it's uh, he said something about resentment, I think, or something It's like swallowing poison and expecting the other person to die. It's the same thing with, with not controlling those negative emotions, letting yourself get, get swallowed up by them. You have to control those things. Anyway, that's the kind of, they're, they're the kind of stories that I'm talking about, and I always think that's an interesting one because it's relatable. Everyone knows that feeling of sitting in traffic and feeling themselves getting really annoyed and stressed and angry. You're in control. Nobody else. Nobody else can control your emotions, on you. The traffic isn't making you angry. You're letting yourself get angry because of the events, the situation like victor frankl says it's between that stimulus and response is your gap is your freedom is your choice uh, to decide how you're going to react to a situation anyway back to putting stories to work uh, he has a whole chapter here on on memory on how to actually memorize a story so that it's it's there for you when you actually need it i'm not it's definitely worth a read it's definitely uh useful but it's not something i think is that interesting for me to go through here because i have done stuff before on how to on how memory works and to do it you know uh, using images rather than words and um, it has to be logic and creativity for both sides of your brain if you look on our youtube channel actually there's one there there's a couple of videos there actually on, on how memory works you can have a look at those and then um, that'll help you so now from about page 100 on it gets into the different types of stories that you can tell so I, i'm i mean there's just there's, there's a good few here and I, again definitely worth reading but I'm gonna just I'm gonna talk about just one one particular type of story here, and this is probably something you would use if you're like going into uh, pitch either your you know your business for uh, for for funding or you're you're pitching your product to a new potential customer and so on. And he calls it a clarity story, and he says a clarity story or the pattern to a clarity story. There's four steps to it, and he basically just says that it starts off with in the past and that's where you would say in the past so and so and so and then the second part is and then something happened and then the third part is so now and the fourth part is in the future and those four things there even that little simple structure that starts to give you an idea of like a thing you've heard before something you've picked up along the way if you want to make something clear to somebody else that this is something that we used to do but then something happened so now we're going to do this. And in the future, this is how it's going to be a success. That kind of that kind of clarity, that kind of structure, I should say, for a clarity story is so, so valuable because like you, like I said, you might, you might hear something along the way or hear a factor or a figure. But if you can dress it up into a story, if you can frame a story around that factor or a figure, you'll get your point across much easier, and much quicker. Another one I want to talk about just very quickly is the what he calls influence stories. So if you're trying to influence a decision, again, four different points or four different sections, I suppose, to the story. And I'm going to read out an actual uh, story that he gives here um, about uh, it's an influence story. So the four the four main sections of this particular story is first of all acknowledge the anti-story, so the thing, the reason why you're telling the story in the first place. Then share your example, right? That's the story make your case and then reiterate your point right so let me read this story here that he has given so he says imagine you're at an executive meeting and the marketing director reports that the leads his department generates are slipping the sales director is also fuming because it impacts directly on her numbers the leadership team discusses what can be done the sales team has always benefited from direct rewards i.e commissions so the conversation turns to creating similar incentives for the marketing team but you think it's a bad idea. It's time to use an influence story. And this is what you might say. So the first thing you need to do is acknowledge the anti-story, right? what he calls the relevant statement, as in why I'm telling the story in the first place. So you say, I think direct rewards for the marketing team might be a bad idea, especially if we're unsure we can keep them up. So then you tell your story. Back in the 70s, a researcher did an interesting experiment. He asked people to do a spatial puzzle. He paid half of them to do the experiment, and the others did it for nothing. After someone had worked on the puzzle for a while, the experimenter came into the room and told them that at this stage the experiment was done, and would they mind sitting there while the next part was set up? Of course, this is where the real experiment began. There was a camera in the room that recorded what happened next. As soon as the experimenter left the room, those who were paid stopped what they were doing and just sat back and waited the people who were not being paid kept working on the puzzle. And that's the story. The third part then is to make your case, so the argument. Our marketing team's activities are complex and if we put direct rewards in place we might lose important things they do which can't be measured. Also, if at any point we need to reduce the incentives or remove them completely, it's likely they'll be less willing to continue doing those tasks. Instead of giving direct rewards, we should give recognition and show the marketing department how they can make a difference to our customers. Give them more purpose in their work. And then the fourth thing then is to reiterate your point. So his his fourth stage here, the point is, let's move away from direct rewards as the answer for our marketing department. Now that's a persuasive argument he's put forward there. That's very, very, very influential because he's spoken directly to the emotional parts of the brain first of all he said look this is why i'm going to tell you the story here's my story i don't think it's a good idea for us to give them incentives and then you know reiterate your point this is why we shouldn't give them um like and it's not being stingy in this particular case and he has a very very good point that if you start to pay people and they uh you need to take that payment away then they're going to stop doing the work because they just associate it with that work and that's the key thing, like it's it's having these stories ready to go when you need them. And that's the kind of story that he could possibly use in other situations as well, but it's used hugely, uh, to huge benefit, I should say, in this particular situation. Um, and these stories just continue throughout this book. There, Let me just see, there's uh, the influence stories, the, the the clarity stories, the anti-stories, right, how to tackle the anti-stories, success stories, and it goes on and on and on. And this book is just I think I probably say this after every podcast but this book is absolutely worth a read and to be honest my guess is that most people have not heard of this book. Uh and there's a few different places that I would check for for books to see to see their popularity. This is one that I have uh, haven't seen around that much but it is definitely worth a read, definitely worth picking up. It's called Putting Stories to Work. Like I said, I don't get paid anything for um, for saying it. It's just, I love these books, and I wish everyone um could read them and, and get something from them. So it's called Putting Stories to Work, and it's uh, by Sean Callahan. And uh, so until next time, thanks very much. Hey, before you go, just a quick message about usebecause.com and what we're all about. If you want to get more and go deeper, head over to usebecause.com to get your content served three different ways. Firstly, our courses. We take the content from books just like the one in this episode and teach it to you through a suite of bespoke e-learning tools that ensure you understand, remember, and deliberately practice your newly acquired knowledge. It's a way to measure your soft skills. So head over to usebecause.com and click on the courses page. Secondly, more podcast episodes. Usually it's one episode a week covering the actionable content from a non-fiction book. You can find all these episodes at usebecause.com forward slash podcast finally, our blog, where we write about some of these books and some of our own learnings about the world and how it works, and they're at usebecausecom forward slash blog. If you enjoy this content and you can think of anyone else who might also enjoy it, please just let them know, because we want to teach as many people as we can. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram or sign up for our newsletter. So until next time.